Yes, the desires, the passions are still in there. But when you walk in the Spirit, the flesh and its desires are nailed to a cross. Faith is strong. Jesus is close. And the power of those desires and passions is broken. You can say no. fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Self-control is last on Paul's list of things that will happen when you walk in the Spirit. And I've decided to look at it on its own because, well, it's different to the others. I mean, when you think of self-control... What are the thoughts that come to your mind? Do you think of things like, well, control, obviously, mastery of desires and passions, effort, discipline? Those aren't thoughts that sit comfortably with joy and peace or even with patience and kindness and goodness. Many of the most self-controlled people I know are calm on the surface, but underneath they're seething with anger bitterness and desire. I suppose that's why they have to be self-controlled. And sometimes those rigid walls of self-control that they build up around themselves crack and it all comes gushing out. Gross immorality that seems to be out of character but isn't. Fierce temper, even violence. It's interesting that the people who do the mass killings and such like are very controlled people, self-controlled people. And it doesn't sit well with meekness either. Self-controlled people more often than not take pride in their self-control. Well, it is self-control, isn't it? They enjoy the satisfaction of knowing that they have resisted a desire or suppressed a temper. And they get a buzz from feeling capable and clever. And sometimes you'd even think that they would be disappointed if they didn't have sinful lusts to overcome. And at the same time, they look down their noses at other people who are not as controlled as they are. So far, we have been looking closely at the fruit that's produced in the lives of people who walk in the Spirit. And so far, the picture that has been building up has been one of a thoroughly decent person, a nice person, the kind of person you would like to have as a friend. But in my experience, people who are big on self-control, well, they're not nice people. They're on their guard. They're hard to get close to. They're defensive. Sometimes they're suspicious. On the surface, yes, they're decent, upright citizens, but you wouldn't choose to be with them for a fun night out or to have them as your friends. 
Self-control seems to me at first thought to be something more suited to a person who lives their life by rules and laws and works. And as Paul has told us, he said right at the beginning of this chapter, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again in a yoke of bondage. Self-control sounds to me like a whole load of bondage. Self-control sounds like something you could boast in, and it's not God's business to give us reason to boast. Strange thing for Paul to finish this list with. There is that kind of self-control then that is legalistic and joyless and proud and filled with stress and anxiety. And there are all too many Christians who take that kind of self-control and they present it to God and they say, Lord, look what I'm doing for you. Look at the sacrifices I'm making. Look at the effort I'm putting in, Lord. Look how good I am. And am I not so much better than those Christians who give in to their every desire? Well, I hope now, in the light of what we've been looking at these past weeks, that you can see that that's totally inconsistent with the teaching of Galatians chapter 5. And I hope you can see that really what it is, is legalism. But if Paul includes self-control here in his list, well then there has to be a different kind of self-control, doesn't there? There has to be a kind of self-control that's not a return to living in bondage to rules and regulations and laws. There has to be a kind of self-control that's not just in sincere suppression of hidden desires. There has to be a kind of self-control where the emphasis isn't on self that's doing it. And there has to be a kind of self-control that's not a reason for pride. There has to be a kind of self-control that is produced by the Holy Spirit in those who walk in the Spirit. A kind of self-control that is God's doing and it's done in such a way that all the glory goes to God not the person who is controlled. And do you see, if there's a kind of self-control that's like that, it has to begin in the heart in order to result in behavior that's sincere. It can't be just the suppression of those desires and tempers. It has to be something deeper than that. It has to be something more. And if for you self-control means biting your tongue to keep in those unkind words, if it means counting to ten to restrain your temper, if it means having to hide yourself away from temptation because you're afraid you might give in to it, if it means cutting yourself off from the world for fear that you couldn't resist its pull, I don't think that can be what Paul has in mind here. There has to be something that's better than that. The word self-control means to have your desires and passions under control. So it includes the ability not to sin when you're tempted. It includes the ability to be able to say no to a desire when no has to be said. It would include being somebody who's not tossed about by the ups and downs of feelings. Now, 
this is not the same as being somebody who has no feelings, don't be thinking that, or somebody who suppresses all his feelings, or somebody who, for example, never shows any expression of joy for fear of excess. That's a good example of the wrong kind of self-control that I've just described. But it's true that feelings do wax and wane. They're up and down with the weather. They sometimes change with the state of our hormones. And sometimes they change in a way that's totally irrational. And if you were unduly influenced by them, then there would be some days when you'd be fine, and there'd be some days you'd be bubbling over, and there would be some days when you'd be a miserable old grumpy gut snapping the face of anybody who looked at you. Self-control is what deals with the like of that. Self-control would include being somebody who's not prone to outbursts of temper, it would include being somebody who's not driven by old sinful habits. It would also include being somebody who's consistent and dependable and steady and faithful. That is what self-control would look like. Self-control of the kind Paul has in mind in this passage. And that is what happens when someone is walking in the Spirit. Now, how does it come about? Well, I, I've said already, it, it mustn't be something that comes through living by rules and regulations. Self-control that is not a return to bondage to, to rules. So it has to be something that arises from within. And I think this is one place where, where a lot of us go wrong when it comes to thinking about self-control. We look at this list in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. We think, this is what I have got to be. And haven't I been teaching you all along? This is not how it works. This is not a list of things that you have to do. This is a list of things that will happen when you walk in the Spirit. And walking in the Spirit is not living by rules. It begins in the heart. It begins with a new nature. It begins with godly desires put within us by the Holy Spirit. Desires after Jesus, longing for Jesus, longing to love him, longing to be like him, longing to please him, delighting in his word and in his ways. It begins with a heart that delights in the law of God. That's where self-control begins too. That change within the heart. And if you're not doing it already, and I've already suggested a number of occasions over these past weeks that you do this, if you're not doing it already, pray and plead with God that he would stir up those desires within you, that you would genuinely love his law and love his ways with all your heart. That's the starting point of this kind of self-control. So self-control begins with that inner sincere desire after righteousness. But we don't then go off and go on a rule-keeping bender to try and be righteous. Paul has taught us that's not the way we do it. He says in verse 5, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. That's how we do it, by faith. That's the next step to self-control, living by faith. Faith sees God being in perfect control. Whatever happens, all is well. There's no need to panic. There's no need for anger. There's no need for rushed or ill-thought-out changes 
of course. Faith sees the purpose of God being steadily and surely worked out and fulfilled. No need to take things into your own silly hands. Faith sees that God is sending that constant stream of grace that flows from him in endless, infinite, eternal supply to his children. Oh, let me remind you about that. We talked about it before, didn't we? How God, who is full of grace, full of loving kindness, is constantly pouring out good gifts to his children. And we have seen that so often, haven't we? So many blessings coming to us from the hand of God, and there are so many more to come. We haven't seen the tiniest fraction of it yet. The blessings that God has in store for those who love him through our lives every day, day by day, step by step, working out everything for good to those who love him and ultimately bringing us to glory where there will be joy and blessing forevermore and freedom from everything that we find unacceptable. Let me remind you of that constant stream flowing from God into your life. That stream that's supplying all your needs and guaranteeing you eternal bliss beyond anything that you can imagine. You got that in your mind? You know, when desires of the flesh arise within you, and we've talked before about what they are, desires for pleasure of any kind, it would include desires for sexual pleasure, desires for just for money or position or recognition or comfort or whatever. When those desires arise within you, what happens is that if you let them get down from the cross that you have put them on, and we've talked about how we nail the desires of the flesh to the cross and leave them there, you've done that, haven't you? If you let them get down from their cross, those desires build up and they become a cause of temptation to sin. You desire money. So the temptation comes, cheat or steal. The desire is sexual desire. And the temptation comes to go and switch on the computer if you're too lazy to actually go out and have an affair because that's, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, that's what pornography is. It's sex for lazy people who don't have the guts to go and do the real thing. You want comfort. The temptation then is to stay in your bed and give up going to church and serving God. You have desires. The desires of the flesh, they're the reason you're tempted to sin. But do you know why you're tempted by those desires? Do you know what the power is that they have over you? Oh, it's the power of the devil. No, that's nonsense. That's not what it is at all. The power they have over you is that you believe the lie that if you could satisfy those desires, then you would be happy. If only I had that amount of money, then I'd be happy or happier. If only I could meet this person and have a relationship with him or her, then my dreams would be fulfilled. But now if with the eye of faith you can see that constant stream of blessing flowing from God and if with the eye of faith you see that future blessing that is stored up blessing beyond your wildest dreams and imagination 
if you can see that and see the full and complete and eternal satisfaction that there is in that stream of blessing that God is sending your way, well then those desires have been robbed of their power, haven't they? They no longer have the power to tempt you. Faith finds satisfaction in Jesus. And that's why faith is the next step towards the kind of self-control that Paul has in mind here. Self-control of the kind that Paul is talking about here begins with an inner sincere desire after righteousness. And that desire after righteousness is pursued not by keeping the rules, but by living by faith and all that that implies. Now look again at verse 5. I suppose in some ways this is a kind of a revision day. It says in verse 5, We through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Through the Spirit. Remember? It's all the Holy Spirit's doing. Paul reminds us in verse 25, We live by the Spirit. In other words, before you were saved... When you were dead in your sins, the Holy Spirit came along. He put new life into you. There's a whole new you. He caused you to be born again. He made you alive from the dead. You live by the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who has put those desires after righteousness in you. It's the Holy Spirit who gives you faith and enables you to live by it. It's not that of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Remember? The Holy Spirit leads you, he tells us in verse 18. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit is produced when you walk in the Spirit, including self-control. It's all the Holy Spirit's doing. It's not yours. Going after righteousness, living by faith, producing this kind of fruit, there's no credit in it for you. You couldn't do it on your own anyway. You know that. I mean, haven't you tried often and failed? Many times have you tried to control yourself and it hasn't worked. So self-control of the kind Paul has in mind here begins with that inner sincere desire after righteousness. The Holy Spirit puts that desire in there. The desire after righteousness is pursued not by keeping rules, but living by faith. And the Holy Spirit gives faith, and it's all his doing. And if by God's grace you have been enabled to become somebody who has control over himself or herself, it's God's doing. It's not yours. It's not the success of your effort. It's not that you're more disciplined than somebody else. There's no credit to you. You have nothing to be proud of at all by God's grace. And when the Holy Spirit does something in you, he doesn't do a cover-up job. Don't kid yourself that you have the kind of self-control Paul is talking about here if you still have those raging desires and passions bursting to get out of you. You know your own heart. And if you are constantly biting your lip to keep in those unkind words, if you are counting to ten to restrain your temper, and if you are having to hide yourself away from temptation because you're afraid of giving in to it, 
And if you are cutting yourself off from the world for fear that you can't resist its pull, I don't think that can be what Paul has in mind here. And if that's the case, then you're not walking in the Spirit. You're just trying to hide the fact that you're not walking in the Spirit. Let me say it again. I said it in relation to every item on this list, I'm sure. A self-control, sincere, humble self-control that is the expression of a heart that delights in the Lord and his ways. If that is not you, you're not walking in the Spirit. Okay, let's, let's consider an objection here. But the desires and passions are still in there. I still have them. Well, yes, they are still in there. The hormones still burn away. The habits still seek expression. The desires of the flesh still shout, let me down from this cross and I'll show you a good time. That will be your lot for as long as you live. Paul has said as much in this very passage. He says, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary one to another. Yes, the desires, the passions are still in there. But when you walk in the Spirit, the flesh and its desires are nailed to a cross. Faith is strong. Jesus is close. And what happens is that the power of those desires and passions is broken. You can say no. The joy of the Lord overrides the gloomy moods. The peace of God calms the fear. Patience melts away the anger and rage. Love, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness make that unkind cutting remark that you would otherwise have thought of look silly, pointless. And satisfaction in Jesus and faith in that unending stream of grace and blessing that is flowing from God satisfies your soul and the desires and passions of the flesh don't drive you the way they once did. Their power has been broken. Yes, the desires still arise and the temptations still come and sometimes they can still be strong. But the more you walk in the Spirit the weaker they become and the less they trouble you. This kind of self-control, the kind that Paul has in mind here, it doesn't mean then that the desires stop, but it's not about merely suppressing or keeping a lid on those desires and living in fear of them that they might break out and let you down. But it is about seeing them grow weak and it is about overcoming them. Don't be satisfied with any less than that. Don't go on living in fear of your flesh. Yes, it's there. Yes, it's a battle times to keep it under control. Don't be afraid of it. It's power over you has been broken. Finally, a question. You say, Pastor, I have a sin and I can't overcome it. I can't control myself. 
I've tried and I keep failing and I can't seem to help it. What should I do? I have a temper. I get moody. I have a problem with pornography on the internet. I tell lies. I'm proud. I want to stop it and I don't seem to be able to. I have no self-control. What am I going to do? That's a big question. I'm not going to answer it completely this morning. That's for next week. But what I do want you to do this morning is get the starting point clear. It's not about building up a barricade of rules around yourself and putting in a mammoth effort to live by them. A whole list of thou shalt nots. Thou shalt not do this and thou shalt not go there and thou shalt not look here or look there. That's not the way to start. It starts with walking in the Spirit. That's the key. Walk in the Spirit and this is the kind of fruit he will produce in you. Self-control. Let's pray together. Father, again, we thank you that it is possible to control the desires of the flesh and the passions that arise within and that their power has been broken and that we do not need to live in fear of them, that they do not need to cause us anxiety or drive us back to a cold and rigid legalism. Our desire, Father, is to be those who glorify you through lives that are holy and pure. Help us to walk in the Spirit, to do those things that are required that we might live by faith, that we might live in that close relationship to you, that we might keep the flesh nailed to the cross where it belongs. And help us, our Father, to see the fruit of that in our lives. Amen.